We're coaches united, ain't got time to be divided Won't you get excited, cause in the end you'll be delighted That you took a listen to the voices that you hear Cause it's evident, ain't no division in here Cause we're coaches united, ain't got time to be divided Won't you get excited, cause in the end you'll be delighted That you took a listen to the voices that you hear Cause it's evident, ain't no division in here, see? We wanna thank you for tuning in to the Coaches United Podcast A podcast that has everyone in mind Where everyone's differences are embraced and celebrated. Where we see you, we hear you, and most importantly, we stand with you. What matters to you, matters to us. Este podcast is para toda mi gente. Ahora más que nunca, debemos estar unidos. Y cuando estamos unidos, somos más fuertes. Gracias por estar aquí con nosotros. Las culturas unidas jamás serán vencidas. Welcome back to the Cultures United podcast. It is March 9th, 2022. And uh, yeah, you're welcome back with your host, Gemma Kasako. And today I'm flying solo, so I'll get right into it. Um, Joining us, we have Rob Pavlik, uh, who is a good friend and family member of mine. So I'm really excited to have him join us on the podcast and talk about the environment. Uh, Rob, do you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, yeah. Thanks so much for having me, Gemma. This is uh, this is really exciting. I'm really happy to be here. Um, so my name is Rob, and I work in the environmental field. Um, I work for a nonprofit organization called the Watershed Stewards Academy, um, based out of the state of Maryland in Anne Arundel County. And we, what I do is I am a restoration technician. And I run a tree planting program for the organization. Okay. So can you go into a bit more detail? What is a restoration technician? What does that entail? So a restoration technician is, um, I carry out a bunch of different kind of efforts related to environmental restoration. And environmental restoration in itself is it's, it's kind of what it sounds like in, in, in terms of like, restoring the environment. So, you know, planting trees, obviously that's, that's what I do as, as my, my main kind of focal point of my job is getting trees planted in the ground and making sure that they're cared for once they're in the ground. And the reason that's important is because all over the world um, and in, especially in actually Anne Arundel County, we're, we're facing a pretty big problem where Um, we're losing a lot of forest um, due to just kind of urban sprawl, a lot of developments going up and things like that. So it's important to kind of supplement that somehow. Um, And so environmental restoration in that regard is, is really focused on kind of addressing those kinds of things. So humans will take out a lot of natural things um, maybe not really understanding or knowing the impact that they're creating because they want to create things for themselves, which isn't inherently a bad thing. It just is kind of just the nature of how humans have always been. You know, we, we show up to a place and we, we build things. Um, so restoration in, in that sense is taking, adding more natural elements to the world and kind of bringing back natural cycles, or at least trying to. Um, so re- me as a restoration technician, I'm just kind of um, carrying that out in a very small, small way. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That helps me understand it a bit better. So you're somewhat monitoring and maintaining the environment or, or making sure that things go as planned. Do you do a lot of the planning process as well? Like where they're going to be planted, how many, when? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I think a big part of my job is actually engaging communities because we're, we're a really small nonprofit. I think we have right now we have seven people on staff um, and we're partnered with the school system of Anne Arundel County. So that is actually a really great partnership because we're focused on um, a lot of adult education. So 
that partnership involves a lot of us just going out and engaging communities, engaging residents of the county in how they can address um, environmental issues that they're facing locally. So it's, it's very much a grassroots based approach to environmental conservation and, and the restoration aspects of that involve yeah, planning like planting projects or if we if a community comes to us and, and says that they're having issues with something like stormwater you know we can provide recommendations or help them apply to grants in in ways that they can address those kind of stormwater issues or other sorts of environmental issues that they might be facing yeah i really appreciate that i haven't i haven't interacted with a lot of organizations that take like a dual action approach where they they um what's the right way to say this? They tackle the problem and the current issue, but they also tackle the core issue. So that would lead to a more sustainable solution overall where you're educating people on how to maintain the sustainability or maintain like a connection to the environment and treating it um, in a way that builds up the ecosystem, I guess, but also you are physically going in and having trees planted and creating that ecosystem. Um, that's really important. It's like, here, we're going to put this in for you and here's how you can maintain it so we don't have to come and do it every year, um, which I think can also happen. So I, I'm, that's a really fascinating thing. I had no idea that it was, um, that there were more holistic practices out there and I'm really excited to hear about that. Um, so for your role then, what, what does it mean to be a leader in environmental conservation then? Like when you're going to talk about people and how does that, how does that feel for you? Uh, well, <laughs> that's an interesting question. I mean, first off, I'm flattered because I wouldn't necessarily call myself a leader, per se. I mean, I, I do have a small leadership role in the organization. I, I can't not. And like I said, you know, there's not a lot of people in the organization. So, you know, we're a very collaborative group. We help each other out um, managing certain projects and, and um, you know, helping the people that really volunteer. I think a big part of our organization is just being that sort of support network for our volunteers. And I didn't mention this before, but I think it's important to mention. So my organization is called the Watershed Stewards Academy. And um, in that name, we have watershed stewards. So as far as, you know, what that means, watershed stewards are these kinds of, um, they're trained volunteers that are engaging their respective communities across the county in envir addressing environmental issues and doing things like tree plantings or um, conservation landscapes or putting in things like rain gardens and or and that's not even a full aspect of it you know we don't require people to put in projects we we have people do environmental literacy things and kind of showcasing the, the value of nature or um, getting people to connect with nature, you know, it's, it's not one person, you know, fits just one role as a watershed steward. There, there are so many of our stewards who do um, things that don't involve, you know, digging in the dirt, so to speak. You know, there's a, there's a lot of different ways that we engage people. Um, so, you know, it, as far as me per se, um, being a leader in environmental conservation. I'm still pretty young. I'm building my background, my career in environmental science. So I really consider my mentors and colleagues to be the real leaders. Um, I look, I really look up to them and kind of the values that they hold dear, the work that they put in, because they've been working in this field for a long time. And I owe so much to them in terms of just lessons learned and the support they've given me. Um, so, you know, I, I hope to do something similar, sort of mentorship in the future, being a mentor to someone who's getting started in the environmental field one day is definitely something that I'm looking forward to as, as I progress with my career, um, especially because I know what it's like to start out um, and to just to be able to show someone that they're valued and can do this kind of work is, is so important because one thing that you start to realize as you work in the environmental field, and you don't even have to be working in the environmental field to kind of have this understanding, but it's just as you learn more and more about the issues that we're dealing with in the environment, how many there are, it can be overwhelming. It can be even discouraging times. And on top of that, you know, it's it's not the highest paying field. And this can all really weigh on you a little bit. And so, you know, you have to be able to support the people around you and show that they're valued. Um, and on, I think the one real benefit to all of that is that the people that are in these jobs 
people that I interact with as colleagues, as uh, friends, they're not in it for the money. They're not doing this because they see profit in it. They, they do it because they love it. They're some of the kindest and brightest people that I've ever had the pleasure to know. So, you know, in, in that sense, you got to really count your blessings when you can. Um, I'm in it because I want to bring change about how humans value the natural world and take necessary steps needed to sort of heal the planet um, and kind of help preserve it for future generations. And, you know, as I think more about the question, um, I, I am a leader to many, you know, I do support a lot of the volunteers that we have um, to implement restoration projects like tree plantings. Um, and our volunteers are, again, just awesome people. They care enough about environmental issues that they are willing to donate their time and their energy to be sort of our force multipliers. Again, you know, we're a small nonprofit and I'm the guy that they come to with tree or plant related questions. And I develop resources that they need to be successful, to help engage the public. Um, so more than anything, I'm just the support system. And I, I do see the value in that, you know, supporting others to be successful and carrying across that message. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. I think that, you know, there can be a really, noble initiative or project that's going on and, and people are trying to push something forward. Um, I was just writing an essay for pol political science, right? And um, there was this global agreement on tariffs and trade and it was great. People agreed on these rules and these regulations, but um, realistically applied, like there was no real means to keep people accountable. It was hard to um, settle disputes and all of all of these other things. But um, point being that it's really important to have that support system, that accountability. So you go through, as you were articulating, like hardship or um, discovering value or uh, trying to understand where you fit into the environmental world and how you can also live, um, how do you say, symbiotically with that with that environment. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, so I think that that's really interesting that you have steward, stewards going out into the community and kind of engaging in their own way. Um, also how you said that it's not one, one task is what a steward does, but it's promoting environmental um, knowledge and consideration and watching out for the ecosystem. And that can, can be very individualized and different with people's character. Um, one thing I did want to ask you um, when you were saying like getting in the dirt and nitty and gritty and stuff, I think that that some of the barriers that I've come to find or that I understand just through talking to people is the two two main things that you mentioned is oh like to be to be making a difference in the environment you need to go and be in the dirt and plant the trees or um, that it is such an overwhelming and large topic that it's it's difficult emotionally to put yourself in that position where you want to make a difference and i think that going into that you have to have very strong character and a lot of hope and belief in what you're doing um and it's a great example of have how such a small impact you know if you have seven employees that train per se maybe six stewards or something for example, that multiplies through that and that and that, and then it's like you can get a population and you have a town and then you have a community and then you have a nation. And yeah. it really, um, the, the impact is huge, like the butterfly effect kind of thing. But um, yeah, I wanted to ask you what, what you think the barriers are or if you've interacted with any for people to get involved in environmental conservation or what hesitations they might have um, in being more active. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great question. And I think that's something that our organization is actually trying to really focus on because um, I guess I'll start by saying, you know, that, that it's really easy to engage certain members of communities. Um, and I'm going to call them the green choir because they're people that are inherently aware of environmental issues already. Um, and not only that, but they have the time to commit to, you know, participating in something like a, a stewardship training course and uh, to time to care for 
trees that got planted in the ground, things like this. Um, they had the time. Typically, they also, and this is just thinking about an equity standpoint, they, they have money. Um, so when I say the Green Choir, what I'm really talking about is sort of upper middle class white retirees. Like that's just, that's just a, a reality of um, what we deal with. Um, and that's, that's not to downplay the work that they do or anything, because we love our volunteers. We love all of the things that they put forth. Um, but it's just a, it's, it's a, it's painfully obvious how much of our engagement is really centered on that green choir group. So as an organization, you know, especially over the past few years, we've we've taken a step back and really started to understand like why aren't we engaging other groups? You know, what is what is limiting us in engaging other other places? And I think, you know, thinking about the, the few things I mentioned, um, when you start to look at more underserved communities and more places that are significantly more impacted by things like climate change, by things like stormwater issues. Um, they're, they're impacted by them, but they maybe don't have the time, have that to invest in solving the issues because they have bigger problems to deal with. That's just the reality of it. Um, so, and this is, this is something that, you know, I've, I've learned as I've, I've kind of been in this organization is that, yeah, like time is people's most precious commodity, you know, and some people have a lot of it, others don't. So asking them to participate in a volunteer program where they're donating their most precious commodity for no real benefit, especially something like trees. When you think about the benefits that you get from trees, when you plant them immediately, you're not, you're not getting a shaded house. You're not seeing a decrease in your your air conditioning bill over the summer right when you plant a tree because that tree is tiny at that point in, in time and it's going to take 15 years for it to actually start growing and making an impact so that you can't you can't sell somebody on on something like that it's it's not something that they're going to want to care about and invest in invest time in unless there's some other incentive there and so what we're kind of like trying to address through that is um, applying to grants in ways where we're not actually focusing on the number of trees we plant or something like that. We're actually looking at funding, like like we're trying to structure in a way where we're, we're providing benefits for communities that aren't just the trees themselves. So obviously, you know, like tree planting is tied to it, but having a stipend program for volunteers to be able to participate in a training, get the knowledge and be that resource for their community, but then also get paid to do it so that they're not just like taking time away from work, taking time away from their family, from church, things like that, then they're, you know, they're, they're actually gaining something from this, not only from planting the tree and getting that, you know, long sustained benefit, um, but something a little bit more tangible little bit more tangible because it, it, it really does it really does help when that that is able to be carried forward and it's it's a relatively new process that we're working towards so um, you know we're, we're aware of that barrier and we're trying all kinds of different things to try and address you know barriers to participation and why we aren't you know engaging members of underserved communities. Um, low-income communities or high unemployment communities, you know, the, the, that kind of thing. It's, yeah, it's it's definitely, it's definitely tough to address. And the other point I wanted to touch on, you know, just like how, how do you get engaged in something when there's just so many overwhelming things that you hear yeah. about the environment and how, how tough it is to go about. Um, and that one, that's a tough question. That's a, that's a really tough one. I struggle with that one, if I'm being honest. Like sometimes I, I, I drive down the highway and I see all these invasive plants growing up trees, knowing that there's nobody there to take care of those trees or trash on the highway, things like that. And it's, it does get overwhelming, but I really kind of try to hunker down and tell myself that what we're doing is going to pay dividends. It's a snowball effect. You know, you, you get engaged locally, 
you grow your network of watershed stewards, of your volunteers, you give communities incentives to participate in programs when they aren't when they're unable to participate um, without those incentives. And it, it, it will snowball, it will get people to care. I, I, I really do believe in this movement. I really do believe in that sort of growth because right. it, it, it really kind of stems from something that I was actually talking about with, um, with my dad, believe it or not, where you know this, this whole movement of save the planet yeah. I think has a little bit of an issue with messaging because it really shouldn't be about saving the planet. It should be about saving us, saving ourselves because the planet's going to be here one way or another, you know, whether or not we're on the planet is a different story. Yeah. So, you know, taking, taking that issue of climate change of just environmental degradation and getting people to understand that it's, it's not about, the birds and the bees. I mean, it is, right? But it's not just about them. We're not doing this because we we only love trees and we, you know, we're hippies or something like that. It's it's because we we care about how this planet reacts to the types of things that we do mm. to it, and we understand that those reactions aren't something like they're they're a little bit more prolonged. You know, and there's there's the kind of scientific data that supports this. And and so having that understanding, knowing that, you know, the, the direction that we're headed needs to change. It's, it's just, you know, getting more and more people to support that is is really what we got to do. And if that that means that once a year someone helps plant trees or, you know, every so every month they go out and pick up trash in their community, you know, what like that that's great like that that's what it's about it's, it's about getting everybody to care about something that directly or I guess maybe not directly but indirectly impacts them yeah yeah it's, I love that that's we're talking about this in this conversation because I was having a conversation as well today about like the importance of wording and how important it is to just say things in the correct way, um, in the situation we're talking about the Russian and Ukraine conflict, and um, this person was saying Russia, Russians like the whole of Russia, and I was like, no, say Putin or like yeah. some like name the person because even in casual conversation, um, it makes an impact even psychologically for the person speaking or for the person yeah. present and everything. Um, yeah, so I love that you thought about you know saving the planet saving the people ultimately if you look at you know realist theory for example people just want to survive and they want to live a good life and they want to have their needs met um and so making it about them and saying you know it's it's about you it's not you're not doing a service for people this is yeah. a service for yourself it's so you can breathe clean air it's so you can walk in the forest instead of on the highway it's so you can um you know, have healthy children, you can have access to food, all these other things, um, super important. And another thing that I like about your approach and what you're talking about is um, the communal aspect. I mean, time is a very important commodity for sure. And I think something that people would be getting out of this, either going to plant trees or being part of your initiatives in stewardship um, is social interaction, is a community and a like-minded community. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's very, very important because regardless of what people need, everyone needs community in some kind of form, introvert, extrovert, like you need social interaction, um, to sustain yourself, your well-being, um, livelihood, et cetera, just as the environment needs water or, um, minerals or resources to sustain itself. So it's really this whole cycle, the circle of life, one might say, <laughs> um, <laughs> actions and I like how you were saying reactions um you know working together to to flourish and so if people want to flourish we need our environment to do the same thing um so in in more specific terms when when you're talking about the environment I was trying to look a bit into the initiatives that 
your organization is doing and watershed and runoff came up a lot. Um, can you can you explain those two terms and how does this impact the local environment or feed into climate change? Like what what does that mean? Yeah, yeah. So I feel like to, to understand what a watershed is, let me just take you back to like early science class, you know, and like the water cycle, right? So you have that idea and it's right in the name. It's a cycle, right? It's a feedback system. It replenishes itself. You got the precipitation rain coming down and then it flows into the ocean where it evaporates. And, you know, the, there's that whole cycle. So you have that idea in your head, right? And now you think about how um, rivers and streams kind of flow into each other. All flowing water eventually drains into the oceans, either through above ground or underground systems. So we have small streams that start up in mountains and um, they, they come together to form larger streams, which flow into larger streams, which eventually form into rivers, which flow into larger rivers. You know, you get the idea. There's eventually you get these huge bodies of water like the Colorado River, the Mississippi, um, the Puget Sound, or the, where I'm at, the Chesapeake Bay. So these networks of streams and rivers all feeding into the same places, creeks, lakes, that, that in itself comprises a watershed. So watersheds are huge spans, networks of water coming together, right? So for instance, the Chesapeake Bay watershed spans multiple states. So Maryland, Virginia, Pennsylvania are all part of the Chesapeake Bay watershed. And so when you start to talk about something like runoff in these types of networks, you know, chemicals from, from agriculture, from industry, sediment, excess nutrients from agriculture, you start to kind of wonder like, you know, how maybe a pollutant here or there, you know, doesn't have a huge effect, but, you know, that running into one stream, one farm polluting one stream flows into a larger river, which is maybe taking now runoff from a few streams. And it just ends up being a compounding effect. Like you, you might think that like you, one particular farm might not have a huge impact when it kind of all dissipates. People say, you know, the ocean, it's a huge place. So, you know, what's, what's the harm in, in, in sending a little bit of something in there? It all get diluted out, right? Um, and runoff can, can occur through a single location, you know, like a, think about like a drainage ditch or like a sewer pipe kind of draining into a body of water, right? And we call that like a point source. But then there's also this idea of a non-point source of pollution. And that just kind of um, is accumulating from sort of a general area and draining into bodies of water. And again, it's all kind of accumulating into these streams, these networks that's feeding into the watersheds. So that's how you get large bodies of water that are dealing with significant pollution issues. And, you know, when they're adding up like that, it's it, it feeds into climate change in in the sense that you know you're you're having a significant impact on the ecosystems that rely on these networks of water that have been here for hundreds of years, you know, and and we're in instituting things into these systems or implement like feeding things into these systems that weren't there naturally. They're not naturally occurring. So there's no real feedback loop, no check on that balance. And it leads to a lot of imbalance in, in the sense that I one, one really good example is um, this, this term called eutrophication. Um, I don't know if, I don't know if you're familiar with it, but it's essentially like this, um, one big pollutant is um, nitrogen. And this comes from like agricultural fertilizers that, you know, as it rains, they, they run off the agricultural land and end up in the streams. And then as more and more nitrogen forms in the water, you know, there, there are, there's algae that, that feeds off of this. And since there's so much algae, it's like, it's like fertilizer, right? So they're eating it up, they're growing and they grow so much and they create phytoplankton and all of this, that it creates this like green layer of 
algal blooms on top of the water surface. Now this in itself, you know, it's, it's algae, it's natural. It's, it's not actually, you know, having that impact. But the thing is, it's, it's unnatural in the sense that the, the, the input, the nutrients that are coming in are so, there's so many of them that, that there isn't that, that check to balance it out where, you know, it would, it would get kind of filtered out as water goes through it. So what happens in these situations is that there is so much consuming of the oxygen in the water that it creates dead zones to the point where there is no oxygen in the water and things like fish and, and different um, kind of insects in the water that you know, require oxygen to survive can't live there. So you're creating these dead zones in water through simply inputting nitrogen from, from fields. And I think another thing to kind of think about as, as we consider, you know, in like hu human impacts and considering runoffs is this idea of impermeable surface. So mm -hmm. if you think about um, a forest floor, right, there isn't any concrete or any kind of hard surfaces, everything, any, any water that falls on that surface can easily penetrate the soil go down and kind of refresh the, the groundwater underneath. But if you have something like a sidewalk or asphalt, parking lot, a roof, the water doesn't penetrate this. It hits it and then it starts to flow and it flows off and it flows off into gutters and things like that. And it's, it's carrying anything that's on that surface. So if there's a little bit of oil from like a car or something like that that may have leaked, so the water is going to pick that up during the rain event and it's going to sweep it up and it's going to end up in the stream because that it's not going to evaporate or anything like that. It's just going to carry it through and just naturally that's the way we've designed systems to deal with stormwater is to, to carry it off and dump it into a natural stream and then it ends up in the ocean. So, so yeah, there's, there's a lot of impact from a lot of different sources and it all kind of feeds into the same place. Holy crap. You're just painting so many pictures for me. I'm like in movies and life, you see people like cleaning off their, um, cleaning out their garage or their driveway with a hose and all this mm -hmm. stuff flowing. Or um, in, in my hometown during the spring, there'd be a lot of water because it's so snowy for a large part of the year. Right. I would always see dead worms in the sidewalk because they just get uprooted from the ground there's so much water mm -hmm. and they're floating <laughs> um but the the description you gave kind of made me think of um like a swimming pool or even a glass and if you dump like a bottle of dye into it the mm -hmm. water volume is so little but um you can see that that would just completely change the color of the of the pool yeah. or the, the clean water and it is going to be in there you can't just like oh scoop it up and take it out again mm -hmm. that really impacts like the chemical makeup of that um but so interesting i didn't my, my image of runoff was really like stormwater <laughs> um diverted streams so putting it into that perspective it kind of made me think of how it's everywhere it's just everywhere yeah. i didn't really I think that helps me connect the chain, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. That it really is all going to one place or even, oh my gosh, yeah, like washing your dishes. That water goes into the tube, which goes into the something, which goes into the stream and eventually the ocean. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I mean, like, hopefully wow. at least, you know, in like septic systems and things like that, like we're at least filtering it a little bit. It didn't used to be that way. I mean, you know, like humans, is, humans have learned from that that like that was that's just a big mistake we can't just dump our you know waste into rivers that we also drink from like that just doesn't end well um so historically we've learned how to address that but then we've kind of like been like oh well you know it's 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 fine for some things but it's really not you know like we're taking liberties with things that we really shouldn't be um and that's honestly it's it's mostly just a lack of awareness i mean i can I can sit here and talk about how corporations are doing it all the time and how that needs to be addressed, but that's a whole nother can of worms that, you know, um, uh, <laughs> another topic for another time, I would say. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, I agree. Cause some it's, I would say majority is definitely awareness. If you get to yeah. corporate level, sometimes it's not awareness. Sometimes it's just what's yeah. going to make money more yeah. efficiently. And that's a very, you know, profit-driven, unsustainable. Yeah, that, that's, a, that's a tough problem. That's a really tough problem. Yeah. So, so going into explaining things, um, when, when you're in schools, like how do you, how do you articulate this and help educate um, adults or youth about the environment and what their impacts can be? And how do you manage like the pressure and intense degree of your content as well? Like, do you, do you kind of explain how they should deal with that as well? Or what, what's your approach when you're, when you're talking to people about the environment is what I'm trying to ask. I think keeping it light is always good. And I realize, like, you know, in, in this conversation, I haven't kept it that light, but um, I think, you know, when, you, when you're in, engaging people in communities and, and even talking to school groups, you always want to try to make it a little bit fun, like try to, try to, try to get people to, and I'll, I'll preface this with saying I, I don't interact with school groups that often. I have, um, I, our office is actually based out of an outdoor educational center and the people that work there are amazing at it. I just, I love watching them work and seeing the things that they do with school groups. Um, but me personally, don't interact with school groups that often, but I will say that like, you know, it, it definitely, it's, it's something that, you know, when you're talking to a community about how they can make an impact or how, um, how they can address a certain issue, it's, it's important to kind of start small. So you, you talk about something like, oh, I'm having, like, like a resident might have some flooding occurring in their yard, right? So like, how can we take steps to address something like that? And, you know, th there's a lot of ways that, that that can be addressed that isn't intensive. It's, it's something as simple as maybe, you know, restructuring the way the um, storm gutters are draining in their yard. Maybe they're draining too intensely and it's kind of carving out a little bit of the yard or something like that. Um, and so, you know, as, as far as, um, I guess, addressing folks and, and doing things, it's, it's important not to overwhelm them with overarching issues that might be occurring in, you know, like the, the kind of large scope of things. I think it's important to just keep it like, oh, well, how can you address this kind of stormwater issue in your backyard or in your stream, right? Um, and a lot of the time that involves putting some trees in the ground or getting, getting a rain garden planted or putting a rain barrel onto your, onto your spout so that not only are you, you know, addressing the kind of stormwater flow that's coming off your gutters, but you're also kind of saving some of that water and then you can use it to, if you have a garden to water your plants or, and things like that. So it's, it's really, it's really important to do kind of like a small scale approach, in my opinion, when, when addressing those kinds of things. Um, I love getting people excited about trees just because I love trees. I love all of the different types of trees that are out there um, and some of the fun facts that they that there can be. Like, for instance, my favorite tree is the bald cypress. Um, and it's a really cool tree. My, and the reason, I have two reasons why it's my favorite. One is that it can grow in really, really wet conditions and the way it addresses this um, is it kind of shoots up these, like they, the term for it is knees. And so the, the roots of its system, it just like shoots up these little stumps like all over the place. And it's just a really like cool little uh, strategy that the tree has developed because it's adapted to live in really wet areas. So we typically, you know, when we have a wet area like this, I'm like, put a bald cypress in there. It's gonna love it. It's gonna be really happy. Um, and the other really cool thing I love about the bald cypress is that you, you'll notice it's, um, it's a conifer, so it has cones as it's like seed structure. And typically with conifers, they're evergreen. So they'll, they'll keep their um, needles or their kind of 
whatever whatever leaf structure they have, they'll keep it throughout the entire year. But the bald cypress, it's a deciduous conifer, so it's like it's a cool mix of this. Um, like it loses all of its kind of like, I don't know if they're needles, but like I'm gonna call them needles for the sake of it, and just it drops those and then regrows them every year. So it's it's a really neat tree, and that's wow. why it gets its name, the bald cypress. Yeah. <laughs> That's really cool. I'm actually getting quite excited because I looked up some pictures and it's such a, like it's breathtaking because it's such a juxtaposition, but mm -hmm. at least the picture I'm looking at, it's like <laughs> looking at a lake, but there's these trees growing out of it, yep. which is very weird for me. <laughs> but yeah. Like, I don't know, growing up in Northern BC, I did not see this. I saw trees in the forest, in the trees, mm -hmm. like the ground with moss and stuff so yeah that is such a cool concept and I love that adaptability um I like metaphors a lot so I could say you you could use that as a metaphor for like what what people can do you know we have different environments and right now we need to adapt to what what environment we have and find the best way to work within it and work with it in yeah. order to become strong and to grow tall um but I'm glad that you shared that. And I resonate a lot with what you were saying um, in the lines of sharing information because as you were talking about starting small and not producing a feeling of overwhelm, um, I'm thinking about my life and so many times I've been overwhelmed. And the majority of those times it's been because I'm thinking about issues that aren't tangible for me. Um, so, if you say to someone, you need to solve climate change, it's like, Buh, what do I <laughs> but um, rather than saying, hey, like, these are the issues that you can go and touch tomorrow, or you can smell, or you can understand, and that you can have an impact on, like, today, and mm -hmm. I think that, that I, I agree with you that that is the most empowering way to, to enact change, or to apply education is if people do that and are able to do it right away um yeah so I appreciate that and it's going to be different in every context so your yeah. your work in your organization is doing stuff that's um related to uh you know Maryland and where you're located mm -hmm. versus maybe someone in Texas would have different <laughs> different initiatives yeah. or Washington where I am um yeah that definitely I had a moment of reframe there um, because yeah, I, I definitely had a period of my life where I was like, oh, consumption is difficult and I need to like make my consumption the most ethical I can. That's with food, that's with um, clothing, uh, environment, all these things. But then you get to a point where you're like, oh, I don't, you need to be mobile as well to make an impact. So yeah, making sure that people feel empowered, but also like mobile and able to make change while sustaining their own livelihood uh, is really important. Making it fun, like you said. Yeah. <laughs> Something that people want to do, not like a, an extra chore. Um, yeah, definitely. And I think that's, you know, just taking into consideration everything that just happens in life. You know, you, you got you to gotta be able to take a step back and just breathe in the, breathe in the fresh air, walk in the woods kind of thing, you know, and, and not feel overwhelmed, you know. And, and I mean... I will say that 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 is a privilege. That is a privilege that that we that we have as as people. You know, people in future generations might not be able to do that thing. And I know certain people even now don't have the ability to do those kinds of things to step away and not feel overwhelmed all the time. Um, so you know, it's 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 a tough thing. It's a tough thing, and you know that's why we we take the approach that we do, especially in engaging new communities, is that you don't want to come in. And, and and tell people what to do. You don't want to be like, this is what you need to do to fix your problems. Because frankly speaking, you might not even understand what those problems are until you sit down and have a conversation and really get to understand what these people value and what what they want addressed, you know, because if, if they've taken the time to come to the to the table and talk with you, then you know they're receptive to at least that, to having a conversation. So you, you start there and you see what comes out of it from there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I appreciate that. Like, as, as you mentioned earlier, the term grassroots, but getting on the level of people you're working with, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. 
I don't like that saying necessarily either. Everyone is on the same level. We're all human beings, but breaking things down in a way that you can collaborate with people um, and exactly what you said, not tell people what to do, but say, hey, we're here to help you guys make a plan of like, what's the best way Mm -hmm. to sustain a positive relationship with the environment in your community and work from there. Yeah. Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, so to leave listeners with, with a bit more of action steps as well, can you explain a bit to, um, I have three questions, but they kind of relate a little bit to each other, but pollution prevention or mitigation. So, so what are the top pollutants that you've come across or how can people in their daily lives, you know, prevent or at least lessen pollution, um, in, in that sense? Yeah. Um, so I will say, you know, pollution prevention, pollution mitigation, it's, it's a tough thing to address on an individual basis because there is so much that we have in daily life, like that, that just inherently will, will increase, um, you know, greenhouse gases and things like that. So, you know, if, if you can take steps in your daily life to reduce those things, that is, that is awesome. You know, if, if, if you have the opportunity or the ability to take a bike to work, for instance, or um, take the bus or take public transportation, you know, instead of taking a car somewhere like that, that, that is an awesome thing. You should definitely carry that out whenever, whenever you can, um, recognizing that not everybody has that ability. Um, I will say, you know, as far as understanding the pollutants that we come across, um, and as, as far as, you know, stormwater and um, runoff, those kinds of things, the, the biggest sort of mitigation and prevention is to be aware about the issues more than anything. Because, because one person might not be able to address, like, if, if they walk around in their community and, and they see that the storm drain that kind of drains out their community is extremely eroded to the point where there's like a eight foot kind of gully forming there. And that is leading to, you know, just significant water just discharging into that area. Um, they can't take like I don't I don't want to sound discouraging but like you know like one person can't go in and be like I'm gonna fix this problem you know like it's but they if they notice that and they're like that doesn't look good you know they they can bring that to a local organization and you know especially around here in Maryland I think in in most of the United States like there are at least governmental organizations designed to address these types of issues so bringing that to their attention is something that as a, as a person, you know, like you can do, you can do as, as a, and if you notice that, you know, a, I don't know, a lot, a lot of these are just, a lot of these kind of awareness things are just taking the time to report something or taking the time to look and acknowledge an issue and take steps to address it. Even if that's something as simple as you're on a walk outside and there's a piece of trash on the ground, you can pick that up. And, and like, I understand that, you know, like people have issues with germs, especially now in the age of COVID, like it's, it's a little weird to like, you know, like have to pick something up from the ground and then have to find a trash can or something like that. But it's, it's, it's such a small act and if you, if you pick that thing up and you put it in the trash, then it's not going to end up in a stream. It, it's, it's, it's not, you know, it'll end up in a landfill instead. And that, that's, that's a positive impact. And that's something that people like should really just be, be proud of, like be, be proud of picking up trash from the, from the ground. Like, um, and on the other end, you know, just don't, throw things on the ground I, I feel like you know that's just something that shouldn't need to be said but I have seen it happen and it is it is really unfortunate and 
um yeah like that that does kind of grind my gears as, as somebody in the environmental field seeing something like that happen seeing um just littering or, or, or dumping going on um but i do try not to you know push that on judgment of the person i i try to say it's like oh it's just a you know it's a, it's a lack of awareness like this person doesn't know that these things have a lasting impact that, you know, a plastic bag that you throw out the window is going to be on this planet longer than you are, you know, like that, that, that sucks. And it's, it, it's, it's hard to hear, but it's, it's just sort of the, the nature of the world that we live in. Um, but hey, I mean, for the amount of people that, that throw things out the window while driving their car, throw trash out the window there are a hundred people that don't and yeah, that's yeah. great you know if we can eliminate everybody from doing that then you know we've succeeded but also you know if, if more people after listening to this pick up trash then you know what like that's that's awesome that's a, that, that's an impact right there and anything you do can make an impact and again you know these these issues that we're dealing with are, are, are on a global scale so they do feel overwhelming and it, it does kind of kind of suck to hear about them honestly a lot of the time it's and and that's one of the things that like sometimes we deal with as an organization it's just like people just just are, are fed up with it they don't want to hear about this stuff anymore and they don't want to they they just like they've they've resigned themselves a little bit and that that that's tough to see that's that's tougher to see than people just being in action because it's it's almost like um, you know they they've given up but we shouldn't we should never give up because mm -hmm. it's 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 never it's never too late to start acting and start doing things even on a small local level even on a small personal level so yeah that was a little bit long-winded a little bit soapboxy but yeah that's that's my two cents yeah, yeah. No, I, I appreciate that. Soapboxy is good sometimes. <laughs> um, but no, I definitely, that resonates with me a lot. And just definitely seeing people throw trash out of car windows. <laughs> it's definitely painful. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. It does make me consider, I think, socially too, and, and sometimes culturally, people's comfortability with confrontation mm -hmm. or or discomfort in general. I feel like discomfort is often a negative thing. It can be a positive thing too. Maybe if you're doing exercise and you're sore, you're discomfort, you're like, you're uncomfortable, yeah. but you're getting stronger. Um, so feeding into kind of what you were saying, knowing that some things are gonna be really hard to hear and hard to think about and hard to come to terms with, yeah. but you're growing as a person because of it and your community's growing because of your understanding or your curiosity to learn more about it. Um, yeah, it's, it's such a complicated issue. And I think the resignation of people from that issue is also difficult. That happens with yeah. politics too. Some people are like, no, nah, I don't, I don't talk about politics. I don't like politics. And I think like politics is the study of like power systems Mm -hmm. politics is everywhere it's in all places so it's so yeah. interesting um and same with in the environment and climate it's not like you can resign yourself from it or not engage with it you are always engaging with it it's just yeah. um it's where people are putting their energy basically yeah uh, yeah but I, 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 yeah go I did want to mention one thing um you know as i talk about you know like picking up trash for instance like, I'm not, I'm not trying to say that, like, every time you walk by a piece of trash, you should pick it up. Because, you know, like, let's be honest, we don't, we don't always have time for that. Like, that's, that's not something that I'm asking people to do. I'm asking, you know, like, if, if you have this thought, and I, I do this exercise in my head, where you walk, you're walking along, you're like, kind of going slow, you're not in a rush, or you're, you're, you know, you're just out, out and about, and you see a piece of trash, and you have that thought to yourself, you're like, I should pick that up. Act on that right there. Like, mm -hmm. you know, if, if, if you, and, you know, I'm, I'm not ashamed to say that sometimes like that, that's taken me a while to kind of like adjust in myself where like, I'll like be walking and I'll see a piece of trash and I'll just be like, okay, whatever, you know, like, and I'll pass by it. 
you know, and that's that doesn't make you a, <laughs> like an environmental degrader or anything like that. Like that's that's not what I'm trying to say with this message. I'm just trying to say that like taking those little steps to pick something up to put it in the trash is 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 doing good. You're you're doing something. You're taking an action to better the environment, even if it's a small, small action, it's something, you know? So like having that thought and acting on it rather than dismissing it is, it's, it's not always gonna happen and you shouldn't feel bad if you think about that piece of trash later and you're like, man, I should have picked it up. I don't know what I was thinking or anything like that. Like, don't beat yourself up on that. There's, <laughs> there's a lot, <laughs> a lot of issues that people, you know, deal with in the thing and you don't need that kind of stuff weighing on you but every so often just pick up some trash or something because we know there's a lot of it out there so you know something like that yeah I appreciate that clarification too I think guilt and shame are some of the most harmful things and shouldn't be used as any motivator often they can be used as motivators or trying to like as an incentive for people to do things but Mm -hmm the most empowering methods as, as you're articulating and with, with what you're saying is um, having people do it at their own will and being curious and wanting to understand and wanting to learn more and um, yeah, having that choice of investment. Uh, yeah, no, I appreciate what you were saying. And we're, we're getting to the end of our episode, but I did want to ask you um, if there's anything else that you want to touch on and perhaps if you're willing to share what are some actions that you practice in your life um, that help with the with maintaining the environmental ecosystem or that help you feel a bit better about that? Okay. Um, let's let me think. So what do I want to share? I guess, you know, I would love I, lo- I would love to see people get um, just more engaged in kind of local watershed groups. You know, and and if uh, I mean, you know, you're you're out there in the Pacific Northwest, so you have a lot of different parks, and I'm sure a lot of different environmental organizations that are that have similar missions to the the organization that I have in, and those environmental organizations are there for people, you know, for people to get engaged, to learn more to participate in things like tree plantings or other environmental restoration, trash pickups, um, or environmental activism, you know, like it's, 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 it's get involved in some way that, that makes you feel a little connected to nature. The reason I love tree planting so much is because I love, you know, like putting something in the ground and then taking a step back and being like, yeah, like this thing is, you know, this is a tree. This is, this is going to be here probably as long as I'm on the planet, if not longer, depending on the species. Um, but yeah, so like, you know, just find something that, that you love to do um, and with regards to the environment, whether that's talking to people or um, even, even something like, you know, like going and reading the trail signs at the start of trails. You know, they always have those bulletin boards at um, trails and... Uh, you know, just like seeing what's on there, seeing if there's anything that they're, they're asking people to do and, and, and following those things. Because, you know, those, those actions that are, are asked of you there are, are intentional. Like those, those are 100%. They're not trying to like restrict people from having fun or anything like that. They're, they, they know what they're talking about when they, when they put different warnings and things like that on there. But yeah, like look up your local watershed group, um, look up local environmental advocacy groups and things like that. You can even look into some of the larger groups like um, the Nature Conservancy or Sierra Club, you know, if you're, if you're looking to really get involved and, and stuff and just try and try and see like what there is out there. And I think, I think the local approach is a lot better. You're gonna get a lot more engagement um, than you are from some of the bigger groups. You know, the bigger groups are doing a lot of some of the trying to institute those like bigger legislative and corporational changes, um, which is super important. Like, don't get me wrong, but I think you know, as as somebody looking to to get started or looking to just have a little bit of a local impact, that's that's where where you should go. You should look at the kind of more localized places, especially because you know they they might be right around the corner. 
you know, they, they might not be too far from you. They might not be difficult to, to reach and engage with. Um, so yeah, that, that is the last kind of thing I wanted to add there. Can you repeat the, the other question you had? Yeah, for sure. It was more on, um, it was more of a personal anecdote. What, what do you do in your life that, um, is geared towards improving the environment or the ecosystem, if you're willing to share. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, I think, you know, personally, I, I always try to let people know about, <laughs> about things. Um, even if that means, you know, like, for instance, like yelling at my roommates for not recycling their cans or something, something as simple as that, because <laughs> not like it, not like in a, not like in a mean way, but just being like, hey, and taking the can out of the trash, obviously, and recycling it or something like that. Like that's, that's simple. Um, shopping at local places, getting food from farmers markets and kind of more local things like that's, that's kind of just a lifestyle choice more than anything. Um, and really being trying, trying to be low waste. It's really difficult to be zero waste. Um, especially if you're, if you're living on a kind of like lower income. So, you know, just trying to reduce waste more than anything is, is I think something that I try to carry forward. Um, and I think, you know, <laughs> I guess I, I, I think saying I plant trees is a little bit of a cop out cause I do that for a job, but, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, you know, um, I personally try to take at least at least once a week, step outside and really appreciate something in nature that's happening. Whether that's kind of like in the morning when I get to work, just taking a second to, to breathe in the fresh air and look for a bird or something like that, or like kind of um, ground yourself in being present in the moment because you know, we, we, we don't, we don't know what the future looks like as far as our planet. Um, and we owe it to future generations to, to conserve it, to preserve it. Um, and to show them that it has, like, it should be valued, you know? Um, but we should also owe it to ourselves to appreciate what we have in the moment. And I think, you know, with nature that can be, sometimes difficult you know like you you have a long day at work you come home and you, you sit down on the couch and you and you watch tv and you unwind you know um but in that moment from maybe like parking your car and walking to your apartment door or you know looking out the window and seeing what the sun's doing seeing what the weather's like even even something like if it's a muggy day, you know, like people people love the sun, people love the warmth that it brings. But sometimes on a muggy day, you know, you can see things like, like you mentioned, you know, the the worms flowing down the street, stuff like that. You know, like there's always something new and exciting going on in nature. It doesn't stop. It doesn't stop. So you know, and this is something that I think I I, I try to do while hiking too. Um, is that, and this is as cliche as it gets, but it's, it's, it's not necessarily about the destination, but about the journey. So, you know, as you're, as you're hiking, take a look at the trees around you, take a look at how they're kind of growing around the trail systems. And like, you'll notice some really, really cool stuff, like how they, how their roots are seemingly exposed which you know from from a young age tree roots shouldn't be exposed they shouldn't but like as trees grow and as they become more and more resilient and more and more comfortable with their root structures they can adapt things like this like you can hike under them sometimes you know especially out there in the pacific northwest you guys got some awesome huge trees that do a lot of really crazy stuff um, and just nature in general. I mean, it's, it's awesome. I'm, I'm a huge nature lover, if you couldn't tell, <laughs> but yeah, you know, just taking a second, even if you live in the city, you know, taking a second to, to just, uh, look around you and, and kind of see if there's, uh, see if there's anything that you can find even in the city, like a little, a little, little pocket park or something. Most cities have a little something, something going on. Um, that you can find and you know if you're if you're having trouble finding something then then 
you know, finding a way to get, get out into nature is never a bad thing. So. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, you paint pictures very well. The imagery in your descriptions, I have this whole like world going on in my mind of like (laughs) places and it reminded me of being a bit younger and being by the ocean and I never grew up by the ocean, but um, Mm -hmm. when I had gone in the past, like sitting on the, the exposed rocks when the tide was out and watching like little hermit crabs. And if you watch them for a long time, sometimes they'll switch their houses and they'll mm. like take off their shell and they'll just like wiggle out and then they'll just like go and grab another yeah. shell and switch into it. But yeah, you're right. Like that is happening right now. And that's happening yesterday and that's happening tomorrow. All at the same time simultaneously as all these other things. So um, mm. I love that. Just taking a moment to say, okay, I know what's going on with me right now. Let's check out what's going on around me um, and being curious about that. For sure. Yeah, definitely. Well, Rob, thank you so much for coming onto the podcast. I learned so much today, actually. And um, yeah, I just really appreciate the kindness that you've brought and the passion and um, the work that you're doing too. I think it's really important and I'm definitely going to try and check out some organizations in Seattle. I'm sure there's something. There must be something. There has to be. There has to be. (laughs) Yeah, no, thank you so much for having me. This has been an awesome time. I'm, uh, yeah, I'm just really happy to be here and to be able to share what I do and kind of the messages that we try to get across. I think, you know, it's, it's important to spread awareness. I think knowledge is power, you know, like that, that, that really is what it boils down to and make sure that the more and more people know about it, the more people will care. So, yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you very much. We're cultures united, ain't got time to be divided Won't you get excited, cause in the end you'll be delighted That you took a listen to the voices that you hear Cause it's evident, ain't no division in here Cause we're cultures united, ain't got time to be divided Won't you get excited, cause in the end you'll be delighted That you took a listen to the voices that you hear Cause it's evident, ain't no division in here, see? We wanna thank you for tuning in to the Cultures United Podcast A podcast that has everyone in mind where everyone's differences are embraced and celebrated, where we see you, we hear you, and most importantly, we stand with you. What matters to you matters to us. Este podcast is para toda mi gente. Ahora más que nunca debemos estar unidos, y cuando estamos unidos somos más fuertes. Gracias por estar aquí con nosotros. Las culturas unidas jamás serán vencidas. Cultures United podcast on Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube, and other platforms. Find our website at www.culturesunited.org or reach out to us on Instagram at Cultures United Podcast and Twitter at The Unity Podcast. Send us your questions, comments, or perspective. We want to hear from you.